This episode is brought to you in part by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like The Guest List by Lucy Foley. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey there, this is Margaret Brennan. With the U.S. barreling toward a debt ceiling showdown yet again, we brought in Jason Furman, the former chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors during the Obama-Biden administration, to discuss what the debt ceiling is and why it matters. Take a listen. Good afternoon, Jason Furman. It's Margaret Brennan. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Good to talk to you. I haven't done one of these Twitter spaces in a while. Um, But today is the day because today the U.S. hit the cap on the amount of money it can borrow to pay for all of its financial obligations. And we thought, who better to talk to than you um, since you've lived through this before? I mean, the Treasury Secretary just or or this kind of crisis before the Treasury Secretary made it official um, saying we've hit that that limit. And so now, just for anyone listening, you know, Congress limits the amount of money the federal government can borrow if this debt limit is not raised, then the government will have to resort to what Yellen has described as extraordinary measures. So that's like where we are right now, Um, basically shifting money around to help pay bills. So Jason Furman, who's currently at Harvard, um, you all probably remember as the former chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors during the Obama administration and is probably having horrific flashbacks to 2011, if I had to imagine. Yeah, uh, one friend emailed me today and asked me if I was going to go back um, to work on this, (laughs) and I would rather go to the North Pole for the next six months (laughs) um, than have to be in Washington dealing with this craziness. Well, it sounds like we're going to be dealing with it for a while here um, in Washington, Um, and it's definitely in the news right now because of this limit. But based on what the Treasury Secretary had has said, we have a little bit of runway left. so, so Congress holds the purse strings. They have to give permission for the government to spend. If we've hit this cap of like $31 trillion, how much longer can we last? How much longer can these extraordinary measures work for us? Yeah, so no one knows the exact answer to that question. Um, in her letter to Congress today, Secretary Leallen said she expected that these measures would last until June 5th. But... Huge amounts of money come in, huge amounts of money go out. Uh, The Treasury itself doesn't know exactly um, how long it will last, but that's a perfectly reasonable guess as to when, you know, the real deadline um, is on this issue. And 
correct me if I'm wrong, but some of that depends on tax season, right? Right. Exactly. Um, so lots of money comes in in tax season. If it's a bit more than they're expecting, then we'll have more time. If it's disappointing, um, then we'll have less time. That's the biggest variable here. But some of the government spending and exactly when the different departments spend their money out is also, you know, can be unpredictable. And just very important sort of baseline fact here is that this is not about authorizing new spending. This is about ob obligations. Exactly. Every dollar the federal government's going to spend, every dollar it's going to collect in taxes is because of a law that Congress passed and the president signed. Many of those laws passed under, you know, President Trump, President Clinton, President Reagan, President Johnson, you know, going way back. So everything the government's doing, it's required um to do. It used to be that it was also required to go to Congress every single time it wanted to borrow. Congress would pass a law saying you can issue a new set of bonds. To simplify that process, about 100 years ago, Congress started saying you can borrow up to this amount and then come back to us. Um, it used to be a relatively routine thing to raise that amount, but the brinksmanship has just been increasing over time, frankly, especially when Republicans are in Congress and Democrats are in the White House. Because in in po the political world, you don't give up a piece of leverage, basically, even if it's a dangerous one. Well, that's the debate that some Republicans are having among themselves. Some of them are of the view, why would you possibly give up a piece of leverage? Others are of the view that you do not want to make a threat that you can't follow through mm -hmm. on. And this is a threat that we really can't follow through on. So when uh, President Trump was in office, I wrote urging the Democrats to not use this threat. I said, Republicans did it to President Obama. You should not do this to President Trump because, frankly, it didn't work out well for the Republicans when they did it to President Obama, when they did it to President Clinton. Didn't work out for the Democrats when they did it to President Reagan. So, you know, I think it's better to not threaten something if you're not willing to follow through. But not every Republican in Congress sees it that way. So on the economic front here, if, if Congress does nothing, which, you know, we may end up kind of in a political stalemate here, then we're talking about this possibility of the United States potentially defaulting for the first time in history. Um, Exactly. So explain that, though, for folks who don't watch the markets, you know, the markets are forward looking, uh, you know, the pricing mechanisms, they look at the possibility of things. So the possibility of this gets priced into the treasuries market. So why does it matter to the trading of U.S. debt for the average person? Why does even threatening this um, present a danger? Yeah, so I have studied and taught about fiscal crises around the world. And what happens in often a country that's really badly governed is no one wants to lend to that country and they go into crisis. That is not what we're talking about here in the United States. What we're talking about here is a very different type of fiscal crisis that's never happened anywhere else, which is there are a lot of people willing to lend to the federal government. It just may be that they're unwilling to borrow if they're not allowed to borrow. Now, what could happen as a result of that is two types of things. One is interest rates on the debt could go up quite a lot. And so rather than lowering our debt, this whole brinksmanship could end up actually raising our debt by raising the amount of interest we're paying on it. That could drive up interest rates on other things. It could drive up interest rates, for example, on mortgages even more 
then they've already risen. Um, and the other thing is the government could cut out a lot of payments. So some people who were expecting money from the government, maybe for Social Security, maybe for their veterans benefits, may not see those checks. And that would be hugely damaging to the economy. Now, everything I'm talking about is more like a June event uh, than a today event. There's a lot of time to avert this, but you know the initial steps have not been promising. Um, so you have had firsthand experience dealing with this scenario before, because back in 2011, when you were in government, um, there was a similar showdown over the debt ceiling. What was the prime message from that period of time? I mean, the politics were different, but it was a similar sort of dangling threat out there. Yeah, in 2011, President Obama sat down with the Republicans to negotiate over a fiscal deal that would lower the deficit and debt and also um, raise the debt limit. I think President Obama was in good faith and put everything on the table for those talks. I think Speaker Boehner, the Republican Speaker of the House at the time, also was acting in good faith and put everything on the table. Um, ultimately, I don't think Speaker Boehner had the support of his caucus for some of the concessions that he might have been willing to make on taxes. Those talks collapsed, huge amount of acrimony, hugely terrifying coming up against the brink. At one point, the amount of money that the federal government had fell to only $13 billion. Now, it'd be a lot for you or me to have in our bank account, but when some days you get you know, tens of billions of dollars of checks maturing, $13 billion in the bank is terrifying. Mm -hmm. It was way less, I remember, than Apple had in its account um, <laughs> at the time. And then at the last minute, um, it, it ended up being raised. And the lesson I take from that is, you know, this isn't, the, this isn't a good setting for a negotiation. Just raise the debt limit, get it done, um, and then figure out how to have a negotiation. But don't negotiate um, over this. But it also, just the threat of all of this hit our credit rating. Yeah, our, the United States was downgraded. We saw higher interest rates. It ended up costing us, I can't remember the exact number, billions or tens of billions of dollars in um, extra interest. So this isn't just you know, fun and games. This is really um, genuinely costly to the problem that people are trying, you know, claim they want to mm -hmm. solve, which is bringing down the debt. It could end up raising it when, when your interest rates go up. And that's what happened in 2011. And that's what we can hopefully avoid. And there's still time to avoid here. So even though this was this terrible experience and we saw that impact, now we're back in a scenario where this is being debated is is using it again as leverage. So within the current Republican caucus, there, as we understand it, there's this agreement to do things like cap spending, um, which would also then, you know, at 2022 levels for 2024, which would mean big spending cuts to defense budgets, for example, and to force the government to, um, tighten its belt with the intention, these Republican lawmakers say, of being more fiscally responsible. Um, and that conversation gets wrapped into this scenario as just sort of, if you don't choose to do things on your own, we will put a gun to your head to force you, essentially, to make some of these um, needed cutbacks. Is there a point to what some of these Republican lawmakers are, are saying here? I mean, the government's not 
not really talking about cutting costs right now otherwise. So, you know, one thing that a lot of people listening to this, you know, may not have the clearest distinction yeah. on, and, and I'm jealous if anyone does have a clear distinction, is there's two separate things. One is the debt limit, and the other is what are sometimes called government shutdowns mm-hmm. in terms of uh, funding the government. The debt limit, I think Congress should just raise it because it already authorized the spending. This isn't about any of the new right. spending. This is about spending that was already passed. But then there's a separate thing, which is deciding how much money the government's going to spend for the fiscal year that begins in October. That spending level should be a negotiation. It has to be a negotiation between the House Republicans that want one thing, the Senate Democrats who want another thing and the Democratic president who wants a third thing. And, you know, all of them are going to have to agree. No one is going to get what they want. So there will be a fiscal negotiation this year over spending, and there should be. It just is in the context of funding the new spending in the government, not the debt limit, which is about the old spending mm-hmm. the government already chose to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, when it's explained to the public by many of these lawmakers that the two things are conflated. Yeah, no, they're absolutely conflated. And government shutdowns, which is when you can't agree on the spending levels, have become more common. They're a nuisance. They're a problem, but they're not the worst thing um, in the world. They're not catastrophic. Mm -hmm. Um, It would be great to avoid one. And yeah, President Biden cannot get every dollar of spending he wants because the the Republican House isn't going to pass that. So absolutely, they need to sit down. They need to negotiate um, the spending level. But that's a totally different thing from the debt limit, which is it's sort of like you know, playing with a match versus playing with a nuclear weapon. <laughs> they should play around with the matches. Don't play around with the nuclear weapon. So you just mentioned a shutdown. That's one of the other things we're hearing about um, in terms of this new Republican leadership and one of the um, agreements that Speaker McCarthy has made in terms of um, dealing with some of these rebel members who argue, at least publicly, that they're trying to be fiscally responsible here. And they're saying, or it has been reported, I should say, that there is um, prioritization of which bills would be paid if there were a shutdown. What do you think of that concept? Does that make sense to you to, at this point, be looking at American debts and saying, okay, we'll fund the FDA and Social Security, but we won't fund, you know, food inspections over here. How does that actually work in practice? It doesn't work in practice. Um, This idea of prioritization where the government could prioritize its bills. First of all, we don't even know if the government computers could be programmed to do this. Second of all, it would still be a default. If I continue to make my mortgage payments, but I stop paying my student loans or my credit card bills, I've defaulted. I'm in a world of financial hurt. There's no way around it. Um, And the third is when you go through the amount of stuff that you couldn't pay for, and it would just grow and grow over time, you're talking about you're going to be hitting farmers or senior citizens or rural hospitals or schools. There's not some antiseptic way to prioritize the debt. And even if there was, it would still be a default. So all these things we're going to be talking about for basically weeks to come um, as we look at 
the new leadership in Congress. Um, when we look over at the White House, the position is that President Biden will not have spending negotiations if they're tied to the debt limit at all. Um, where do you think this is headed, if that's the position? Well, I think that's the right um, position to have. And, you know, I'd say also, by the way, if, if you know, there are good reasons to be concerned about the deficit and debt, I have some concerns about the deficit and debt. The right answer to that is to put everything on the table, put revenues on the table, put spending on the table, put defense, put non-defense. It's really hard to deal with a debt if you say, you know, by the way, we don't want to collect taxes um, for rich people, but, you know, we want to cut back on spending on schools. So I, I think they're right to not negotiate. Um, where will this end? You know, my hope is that the Republicans figure out some fig leaf that lets them move ahead. That's a little bit of what happened in 2011, where they basically said the president had to sort of accept the blame for raising the debt limit. <laughs> and they sort of pinned the blame on him rhetorically. And, you know, I, I hope President Biden would be mature enough to say, sure, I'll, you know, I'll wear the jacket. It's my responsibility. I'll, I'll deal with this as long as it happens. Figly, you're, you're making it sound like it's a joke that people are in on when it comes to actually resolving this, that there's like, you're not making light of it, but like a wink and a nod right. that what's being presented to the public isn't actually how lawmakers, um, what lawmakers are actually aware of. Yeah. I mean, in 2011, um, the Senator McConnell invented this sort of complicated mechanism that basically allowed Congress to vote against it but the president to veto their vote against it. So it went into effect so they could say they hadn't voted for it. <laughs> it was things like that. You know, I, I don't, you know, look, I'd rather they just pass right. it. I'd rather they permanently abolish it. Um, I did not bed with a Republican friend of mine who was negotiating on behalf of Senator McConnell with me in 2011. And we both came to the conclusion that this, uh, his name Rohit Kumar, mm -hmm. this is a bad idea to be permanently abolished. So yeah, I don't think we should play these games. But, you know, if the only way out of it is one of them, you know, and people need to save face, they, you know, that's okay. They can find some way to save face. But on the mechanics of this, it, it becomes very political because um, Republicans, in terms of the narrow majority, to, to actually go ahead and, and have this vote on the debt ceiling, they don't have the votes unless some of these rebel members who've taken these positions, more hardline positions, unless they get on board here. So that could require the Republican leaders to have to get Democratic votes. Um, and what's the incentive there other than being responsible? I mean, is this just going to be Democratic leaders trying to underscore that the Republicans don't have the votes um, for as long as they can, and then ultimately swoop in at the end of the day and, and help them help us off the brink of a potential crisis? Look, that's the tricky thing. I mean, first of all, there are, would be no problem passing a debt limit increase in the House. Um, to have something pass the House, you need 218 votes. There are 212 Democrats, probably all of whom would vote for it. So you only need six Republicans um, to join them. So it could easily pass the House. The issue, of course, is it can't get to the House floor. Right unless the Speaker of the House puts it there. And speakers historically 
have adopted um, what was sometimes called the Hastert rule, where you don't bring something to the mm-hmm. floor unless you have the majority of the majority. You have more than half of the 222 Republicans. So you know, maybe you need 112 Republicans to feel good about yourself bringing it um, to the floor. My guess is Kevin McCarthy could get that uh, number together. Would that undermine his ability to stay on as speaker? Would he potentially have to risk sacrificing his speakership? Would he be willing to do that? Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know the answer to those questions. Or whether that rule is something that they're still sticking with um, under these yeah. new rules. Yeah, and that rule, to be clear. Right. I mean, as they said in, in Pirates of the Caribbean, you know, it's more of a guideline um, than a rule. And, you know, it's been broken before. People have sometimes said, you know what, to move things forward, I'm going to have to have the other party carry the votes here with the minority of my party joining them. And, you know, if they have to do that, they they have to do that. That's what they're helping to govern this country. And governing means making sacrifices and and doing what you need to. So one person who you've mentioned is um, Leader McConnell in the Senate, who has some experience of helping out his Republican colleagues in the House um, to get through some of these uh, sort of politically difficult positions. Um, is that what you are betting will happen here? That behind the scenes there will be a negotiation in the Senate to help work this out? I hope so. Um, I think Leader McConnell understands that the debt limit needs to be raised. He understands that the Republicans are going to have to play a role in that. He is good about figuring out ways to sort of have the Democrats shoulder more of the blame and, you know, some. Mm-hmm symbolic way. And as I said, I think that's that should be totally fine um, with the Democrats. And he also most importantly knows that every time you try to play with this fire, usually it's the person playing with it getting burned, not the other side. And, you know, he'd love to avoid that for very good reasons. So yeah, I think if um, there's anything that could be done, he would be someone to do it. But he does have a limited amount of sway with House Republicans, especially some of the most strident ones that are are the biggest issues in this coming together. So how do you think this will actually get worked out if the politics are much more difficult now than they were in 2011? I don't know. First of all, <laughs> my guess is, you know, let's say June 5th is the date. Um, we're going to be in a Twitter spaces um, early in June, and it still won't be mm-hmm. 100% clear. You know, in 2011, Five or six days before the deal came together, neither I nor the Republican negotiators could figure out exactly how it was going to come together. And in fact, some of them despaired and thought, you know, this isn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to fail. It's not going to work. So um, it's so it's so hard to know exactly how it'll come together. But I think it'll be some form of broad concession on the Democrats that the debt is an issue and they're going to work on it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but not some specific linkage to the legislation. So if you were back in the White House, and I know you said at the beginning, there's no, there's basic, no, there's way. no way you would, you would step <laughs> in to help them out this time with this one. But if you were there, um, if you were hostage there, um, how would you advise the president to deal with this? Who is handling this right now? Like Whose shoulders does this fall on before it gets back to the president's desk? Right. I mean, the Treasury Secretary is always the face of these standoffs. It was Secretary Yellen who sent the letter today. Mm -hmm. Treasury is responsible for borrowing and keeping um, federal finances going. 
but it's also an intensely political issue. And this one is so important that you know the president and Ron Klain are deeply personally involved in, in figuring out um, how to move this forward. And you know, I'd be stressing something they all understand, um, which is there really are these two issues. So tell the Republicans, no, you get this one done. It has to be done by June 5th, probably, based on what we know today. And then there's another one that has to be done by September 30th. That second one, the government level of government spending, we are going to negotiate over that. Mm -hmm. We're going to have a negotiation. You're not, you know, um, but these are just two separate tracks. Let's negotiate on one track and just get this done on the other track. So you think it's it's the chief of staff, Ron Klain, uh, handling this right now with the president? Well, well, it's it's ultimate. I mean, the, the treasury secretary is the face of it. She's very involved. Right. She's but, she's know, busy right the whole now. Economic yeah. team. Yeah, and the whole economic team, the whole political team will be involved in this. And frankly, it's a waste of a lot of people's time. <laughs> it's a waste of your you and my time. It's a waste of everyone listening to this time. Mm-hmm. Um, this is just a totally sort of self-made problem that you don't have. Other countries don't have this. Um, there are countries with real problems that have real difficulty borrowing. Right. We're not one of those countries unless we choose to be one. And Jason Furman, thank you for coming on and breaking all of this down. I have a feeling we will be hearing from you again um, and talking about this a lot in the months to come. Uh, great joining you. All right. Thanks uh, for all of our listeners. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to catch Face the Nation Sunday where we'll take another look at the debt ceiling, state of the economy, and our very messy politics. Hello again, podcast listeners. Thanks for listening to this bonus episode. Be sure to follow and listen to the Face the Nation showcast every Sunday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com slash survey. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.